Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do Death. Hi, Phoebe. How are you? Hi, Dad. I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I've got a bit of toothache going on at the moment, which oh, is no. a bit miserable. Um, but hey, these things happen. So uh, I have an appointment next week with a dentist, so maybe they can sort it out. Until then, I'm just taking the painkillers when it flares oh, up. <laughs> Hopefully not opioids. Don't think they are, no. <laughs> no, I've been present on opioids. <laughs> Hopefully won't get, um, won't get a habit. Yeah, you don't want a heroin addiction. Absolutely, no. <laughs> Great weekend last weekend, celebrating Toby's fifth birthday. We had a lovely weekend, a very busy weekend, celebrating Toby's fifth birthday. I can't believe he's five. I know. I can and I can't. In some respects, it's like he's always been here. Yeah. And some days I think he's like 13. And by he's such a presence, his attitude. isn't he, when he's around? Oh, he is he's a presence. Yeah. He is a presence. <laughs> so, no. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I can't believe that. I can't believe he's five, but I also can't believe he's only five. Yeah. But he had a lovely day. Um, it was a good day. Yeah. He had, um, yeah, a good day on Tuesday for his birthday as well. So, yes. My house is now full of Lego. Yes. And Playmobil. So I'm really excited to enter this new phase of our life. <laughs> mm, plastic and more plastic. Yeah. Within yeah. about three seconds, I'd already trodden it. So I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I'm partly, well. Quite a lot responsible for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a bit, but he got a lot of Lego from a lot of other people as well. So, well, yeah, it makes him age. happy. Yeah, exactly. He Lego enjoys age. it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. In this episode, Phoebe, which I believe is episode 69, I'm going to tell you about the Klidach murders. Okay. Have you heard of the Klidach murders? I have not. Okay. Well, Klidach is a small town just north of Swansea in South Wales, and that's spelled C-L-Y-D-A-C-H. Okay. If you want to look it up. In the early hours of Sunday, the 27th of June, 1999, emergency services were called to a semi-detached house at 9 Kelvin Road, where neighbours had reported a fire. The fire was put out, but when investigators went into the property, they discovered the four bodies of Mandy Power, who was 34, her 80-year-old mother, Doris Dawson, and her two daughters, Katie, who was 10, and Emily, who was 8. Oh, no. All had been beaten to death with an iron pole, or oh in one account, it was actually a fiberglass pole. But either way, it was an item that was already known to be at the property, just something right. that was in the house or in the garden and kids used to play with it or something. Mm -hmm. and this was to become the biggest murder hunt in South Wales that the police there had ever had to deal with. No way. It also transpired that four separate fires had been set. Wow. One was in Doris's bedroom one in Mandy's bedroom, one in the sitting room, and one in the kitchen. Now, while the kitchen fire caused the most damage, they were all extinguished before they caused total destruction. Mm -hmm. The fire in the sitting room was very small. In actual fact, it was just a tablecloth, a small tablecloth that had been laid over a, a little occasional table that had been set alight. But on the table 
were two pictures, one of Katie and one of Emily. Right, okay. And the tablecloth on which the pictures were standing on on this table had been set afire, but that didn't actually cause that much damage. Okay. Now, on the night of the murders, so Saturday the 26th of June, Mandy and her two daughters had been out for the evening babysitting elsewhere. Right. And they arrived home by taxi at 11.48. Okay. It's very specific. <laughs> it is, because I think the taxi driver, I don't think it would yeah. clock something. I don't know, back in 1999. But anyway, that's the time that's recorded <laughs> when they got back uh, back to the home. Investigators believe that Doris was, in fact, already dead by the time Mandy and the girls got home. Oh, my goodness. And that someone was waiting in the house for them. Oh. They also concluded that during the attack on Doris, the light bulb in her bedroom was smashed, presumably by swinging the iron pole, which in turn tripped the lights in the house. Right. And whoever it was had then gone into the girls' bedroom and taken a portable television off a chair placed the television on one of the beds, then taken the chair downstairs to the downstairs loo where the fuse box was located and had stood on the chair to reset the lights. Oh, my God. So quite a lot had gone on before Mandy, Katie and Emily reached the home late yeah. night, Saturday night. Wow. So the question is, who would want to massacre this family, this three generations of family, and why? Mm hmm why? Why? I'm guessing you're going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do my best. <laughs> Mandy Power had been separated and divorced from her husband, Michael Power, for about two years, but they were understood to be on good terms. However, Mandy had had several casual relationships since with other men and with at least one woman, a woman called Alison Lewis. Okay. Now, Mandy's affair with Alison is described as torrid. Alison is said to have been jealous of Mandy, wanting her for herself. Okay. She, she didn't like the fact that she was also seeing these other men on a casual right, basis. Okay. Yeah. Now, Alison Lewis had been in the police force, but had retired on the grounds of disability after having witnessed a suicide. Right. She's okay. only in her sort of early 30s herself mm. she claimed that for psychological reasons she could no longer work for the police as she was a black belt in karate which is okay. something that she continued with and she played rugby for the welsh women's international team oh wow okay <laughs> and evidently quite a strong person yeah who knew martial arts and... yeah and, and rugby. rugby yeah so suspicion immediately fell on Alison as the perpetrator wow. of the murders, particularly as when Mandy's body was discovered, she had been defiled with a vibrator. Oh, no. Also, the violence that had been carried out on Mandy was far more than on the other three victims, okay. which in itself indicated a crime of passion. Mm -hmm. In Mandy's bedroom was found a gold chain which didn't belong to Mandy. So where did this gold chain come from? Mm. <laughs> a female gold chain or a male's gold chain? We'll find out okay. in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the time, Alison was married to Stephen Lewis, 
who was also a police officer in the area. But she was planning to leave him for a different lifestyle, shall we say, which she hoped would include Mandy Power. Okay. But at the time of these murders, though, she claims that her husband Stephen knew nothing about the affair and her alibi for the night of the 26th of June was that she was in bed asleep next to her husband. Okay. However, several, well, several witnesses returning home after a late Saturday night, and in one case, a taxi driver who was dropping people off, you know, at sort of one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, reported having seen two men in the area of Kelvin Road these two men were identified as being Stephen Lewis and his identical twin brother, Stuart Lewis, wow, okay. who himself was an acting inspector in the police force at the oh, time. Oh, wow, okay. Stuart Lewis, though, claimed that he was just on patrol that night. And in his role as police inspector, Lewis was one of the first on the scene that Sunday morning at the oh. house when the reports came in that the house was on fire and uh, yeah so the police turned up but apparently he stayed on the site for eight minutes okay not very long then not very long he, he just sort of said yep yeah, the fire the, the fire brigade are doing their job and he failed to recognize that the bodies had been murdered before the fires had been set oh <laughs> because although the kitchen fire had been reasonably extensive it didn't cause any damage to the rest of the house and it didn't destroy the bodies at all right but yeah the whole thing that they've been bludgeoned to death would have <laughs> been completely missed now strangely shoddy police work that. his logbook for that weekend went missing i did it never to be found again and he didn't complete his pocketbook entries that police do when they you know, attend a scene until yeah. the following Monday. Okay. Now, as the most senior officer on duty in the area that night or that early morning, his biggest failing was to have not preserved the scene yeah. for proper forensic investigation. Okay. So, was it negligence? Hmm. <laughs> Some things are starting to stack up here. Yeah. Police then spent months, so other police <laughs> that weren't <laughs> yeah. the Lewises, spent months looking into Alison, Stephen and Stuart. And they even went as far as bugging Alison and Stephen's home. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think they did have a couple of young children at the time as well. Also, in one account, a neighbour of Mandy Powers, so this is in Kelvin Road, a neighbour recalls having heard Stephen Lewis threaten Mandy with the words along the lines of, stay away from my wife or I will kill you. Oh, my goodness. That's quite a threat. That's quite a threat. <laughs> Not a very yeah. veiled uh, Not threat. Not a very veiled threat, no. Now, in July 2000, so this is over a year after the murders, all three of the Lewises were arrested. Wow. Alison and Stephen on suspicion of murder, Stuart on the grounds of perverting the course of justice. Okay. They were held in custody in cells for four days and interviewed multiple times. I think I saw somewhere there was 26 interviews. Now, whether that was oh, wow. probably across all three of them, I would imagine. But um, There's still a lot of interviews in four days. Still a lot of interviews in four days, yeah. And eventually, after 
four days, they were released, but on bail. Okay. They were still investigated for a further six months. But in the end, the police decided not to pursue the Lewises any further because they could not find any evidence that would be good enough to secure a conviction okay. against them. Instead, they turned their attention to a call that had been made from a member of the public shortly after the murders back in 1999. Right. And a particular person of interest came to the front of the queue, a local builder called David Morris. Okay. Now, David Morris was a local man, aged about 38 at the time. He worked as a builder and a labourer, and he was known to have had a criminal past with convictions for violence. Right. Now, he lived with his girlfriend, Mandy Jewell, who okay. herself was known to be volatile, and who is sort of thought that David Morris himself was a bit scared of to right, some okay. degree. And when things got difficult between them, as apparently quite often they did, David Morris would take himself off and live elsewhere for a while until things had okay. calmed down. Mandy Jewell was a divorcee with a young child from her previous marriage. Now, apparently Mandy Jewell was one of Mandy Power's best friends. Okay. Although they'd had this call about him from witnesses and people that sort of reckon they knew something about David Morris, back in 1999, police had decided then not to pursue him at that time because okay. his partner, Andy Jewell, had provided him with an alibi. Right. That, no, he was, he was, he came home to me that night. But later, she did admit lying to the police about his whereabouts on the night oh, no. of the murders. The main connection to the case is that David Morris had started an affair with Mandy Power. Okay. One of her casual relationships. Right. On the night of Saturday, the 26th of June, 1999, Morris was seen in the local pub having a row with Mandy Jewell, oh. who had then gone home. Okay. Morris stayed in the pub and drank a total of around eight pints of lager. Okay. And it is also alleged that he'd been taking amphetamines. So he was perhaps a bit high as well before mm -hmm. he left the pub at around 11.30. Okay. The allegation is that after he left the pub, he walked a half mile or so distance to Kelvin Road, which would have taken him a about 15 minutes. Right. Okay. He then pestered Mandy Power for sex, but when she refused, he killed her and the other occupants of the house. Now, given the previous evidence that Doris was killed before Mandy got home that night, the timing yeah. of all this is questionable. That doesn't add up, yeah. Was David Morris waiting in the house with Doris already dead just so that he could ask Mandy for sex? Probably not. Like, you're probably not going to, like, kill her mom just so you can ask her for sex would you like no that doesn't add up i could see that i could see the other side of it like her saying no and then him killing them all in a violent yeah. rage if he was like drunk and on drugs fine yeah. but not kind of going to the house killing his mom killing her mom and then yeah that doesn't yeah sense. the evidence is such i don't know exactly what it is as, as you can imagine there's a heck of a lot written about this yeah. story but it, it is generally understood that doris was already dead by the time okay. that 
Mandy and the kids got home. But what was there just enough time? If he didn't leave the pub until 11.30 and they got home at, let's say, 10 to midnight, 20 minutes at most. Yeah, 18 minutes. 18 minutes, yeah. I mean, okay, how accurate was the fact that he left at 11.30? Don't know. How accurate was it that they dropped off at 11.48? Well, it's so precise that maybe that is the accurate time. But, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour at the most. Could he have walked all the way there, bludgeoned Doris to death with something that you found in the house, smashed the light bulb? Yeah. And found the the chair. Yeah, did all that and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Unlikely is my. Unlikely, yeah. It's starting to get a bit flaky. Unless Doris wasn't dead. And that hadn't happened then. But yeah. that's how the evidence presented itself to investigators, that that's right. what happened. Now, the key evidence presented by the prosecution against David Morris was the presence of the gold chain found okay. in the bedroom. It was identified as belonging to David Morris. Mm-hmm. Forensic evidence from the necklace proved that it was his by the presence of tiny particles of paint which matched the paint recently used by Morris to paint his kitchen. No way. Yeah, tiny flecks in, 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 in between the links wow. of, the, of the chain. Now, to start with, Morris denied any connection to Mandy Power, apparently out of fear for what Mandy Jewell would do to him. Fair. So he denied it all to the police. But when he was presented with the evidence from the necklace, he agreed that it was his, but his story was that he had left it there on the morning of the previous day, the Friday, when he had been round to Mandy's house to have sex with her then, during which the necklace broke. I was thinking that. I was thinking, like, well, if that's the, if that's the only evidence they've got, if they know they were having an affair, you could have just left it behind or it could have fallen off mm. at another point, couldn't it? Yeah. So that's not conclusive evidence that he killed her. That's what he said. But apparently that evidence presents two other problems for David Morris. Okay. He was spotted in the pub on the Saturday evening wearing his necklace. <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. how okay. could he have left it the previous morning? Right. He explained that by saying he had a second necklace. Okay. Did he show the police the other necklace? I don't know is the answer to that. Okay. The second thing that didn't quite work for David Morris is that phone records put him elsewhere on that Friday morning, uh, okay. not at Power's house. He might have been there, but his phone wasn't. So no. that's, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. Nevertheless, based on this evidence alone, so basically the wow. necklace, David Morris was charged and the case went to trial in 2002. Now, Morris appears to have absolutely no motive to kill Mandy Power or the three others. But the prosecution got around this by alleging that he was drunk and psychotically high on amphetamines at the time, and he had reacted furiously to Power's refusal to have sex. To bolster this claim, the police produced a small-time drug dealer who said that he had sold Morris amphetamines shortly before the murders. Now, the drug dealer was awaiting a trial of his own. <laughs> and it's That's not always reliable evidence. <laughs> yeah, and it's not impossible that the police offered him a deal in exchange for his testimony. Mm, yeah. Morris 
denied that he had bought or used them at this time, and no other witnesses were available to testify to his supposedly psychotic state. So it's just conjecture, really, that he might have been high. And if they knew that he'd left the pub at half 11, they'd have noticed if he was in like a psychotic state, wouldn't they? Unless it it hit him as he went outside sort of thing. But like, you know, if he left the pub to go to her house, he would have already been in this psychotic rage, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Another possible motive for killing Mandy Powell was that she had threatened to expose him to his girlfriend, Mandy Jewell, who he didn't really didn't want to upset. So yeah, he might have killed her to uh, make that not happen. But the forensic evidence strongly suggested that Power's mother was the first to be killed, mm-hmm. as we know, while the other victims-to-be were out of the house, only to be killed on their return. So why would Morris have done this? Yeah. Yeah, that's the it, question. It's weird. It's very weird. It why? Seem to add up at this it doesn't. Point. No. So Morris's first trial ended with his conviction. Wow. But it was quashed. Not immediately, but within a couple of years, it was quashed. Okay. On a technicality when it emerged that his solicitor, so the solicitor for the defence, not the barrister, but the solicitor that was instructing the barrister, was acting not only for David Morris, but he had also acted for the three Lewises. Oh, okay. When they were being investigated. Right. (laughs) Therefore, he had an irreconcilable conflict of interest Mm. that he had not previously declared. So that particular solicitor paid for his dishonesty because the Court of Appeal not only declared the first trial unfair, but also made him pay the costs of it from his own pocket, which completely ruined him. I bet it did. Wow. Now, a retrial took place at Newport Crown Court in 2006. And Morris was again found guilty based on exactly the same evidence. Okay. Initially, he was given four life sentences, but this was then changed to a minimum of 32 years in prison. Okay. It's quite a long time. Quite a long time. This story re- has recently hit the news again because on the 20th of August 2021, David Morris died at Long Latin Prison at the age of 59. Oh. The cause of his death has not been released. Okay. So we don't really know why why he died. Maybe yeah. that in itself is a bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. But he continued to maintain his innocence until the very end. Okay. And somewhere else I read that because he never admitted his guilt, he was treated quite severely. Okay. If If you admit your guilt then I think things get a little bit easier for you. Okay. But because he said, no, I never did it, he was, yeah, always given a bit of a rough time in the prison system. But that's mm. what he continued to do because he claimed he was innocent. And many questions surround how safe his conviction for these murders really is. There mm. was no evidence to put Morris in the house that night. No one saw him in the area whereas they had seen the Lewis brothers. The only DNA not belonging to the Power family was found to be a match to Alison Lewis. Okay. Also, there was a handprint found in blood on the living room carpet, and this handprint could not be matched to Morris. 
Okay. And a lot of this evidence, or rather lack of the evidence, was never shared with the jury. And in both court cases, it is felt that the magistrate, in effect, gave the jury the option of either finding David Morris guilty or the Lewis's guilty, mm, okay. rather than finding Morris not guilty or finding Morris yeah. guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, okay. So the whole process from the police investigation through all the legal aspect, particularly with the uh, solicitor having been working yeah. for multiple parties and and strange direction given by the the magistrate, uh, the whole thing seems a bit flawed on several layers. It's really tricky because from what you said, like there really doesn't seem like enough evidence to convict him of, for 32 years in prison. Like <laughs> the only, I guess the necklace is a sticking point and the fact that he lied about where he was. So that's an issue. But I guess if he was trying to cover it, cover it where he was because of his girlfriend, yeah. then that's motive, I guess. But, hmm. And the timeline just doesn't add up. It doesn't seem all. to, does it, based on no. what, what we know? Yeah. Anyway, after the court case, I think it was after the initial um, conviction, Stephen and Alison Lewis did separate. Oh. So she got her life that she wanted. So really, that's it. Um, wow, okay. There's this man who was convicted of these murders. The evidence was flaky. The conviction yeah. is arguably unsound. Yet he died in prison after spending a total of 20, 19, years, 19 years, something like that, years behind bars. So if this has whetted your appetite to find out more, there is plenty on the internet, as well as books on the subject, including... The Clidach Murders, A Miscarriage of Justice by mm. John Morris. Apparently no relation to David Morris. <laughs> <laughs> but there are many news articles. If you just put in Clidach Murders, so that's C-L-Y-D-A-C-H, Murders, mm -hmm. into your favourite search engine, you will get tonnes of stuff. Cool. Um, I'll, have, I'll have a look. Yeah, even really quite recent ones. Some from this year, even because wow. I don't know if it's because of David Morris's death, but mm. the father of the murdered children, so Michael Power, and Stuart Lewis himself have recently spoken out, allegedly for the first time ever. Wow, okay. Murders. So, uh, so yeah, there's plenty of news mm. stories about that, but there are still campaigns going on to this day to try and clear David Morris's name. name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's quite a few documentaries available to, to watch. Okay. If you go to YouTube and again put in Clidach Murders, you'll get quite a few. So there's, um, there's a good BBC one. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Which I think is called mm -hmm. Beyond a Reasonable Doubt or something. And there's even a, a an interview with Alison Lewis herself. Oh, okay. From, Back in the back in the day, and of course there are plenty of pictures of this. Cool, thank you. So that's it. That's the story of the well. In a nutshell, <laughs> that's mm. the story of the Clidach murders, Mandy Power and her mother and two children, and how David Morris was arrested. But there is tons more information which I just haven't gone into. There's, there's so many twists and turns and interviews that didn't go anywhere and then they change the stories and all this sort of thing you know, so. mm. 
stuff that immediately kind of sparks a bit of like hmm, something yeah. dodges going on here. So I think to this day it's still a bit of a who done it. It sounds like it. Hmm. Hmm. I will definitely be looking at that. <laughs> um, and you said that there's some pictures. Yeah, yeah, plenty of pictures. Will you share them? I will. I will put them on our Instagram page at Dad and Daughter Do Death. I'll put them into our Facebook page, Dad and Daughter Do Death. If you'd like to contact us about this story, you can email us at Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. It would be really good to hear from you one way or another. Yes. Thank you very much for another fascinating story. And I, uh, I, I genuinely thought this was fascinating. Every yeah. time you think there can't be any more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting stories from the UK or Europe. And then you find something else. And, yeah. It, and it's, yeah, it's got layers, this one. And, yeah, um, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I even went on to Google Maps and found the street. And, you know, you can do that sort of street view thing. The yeah, house yeah. is still there. And oh, it's... wow. I was also thinking, actually, because, yes, this sort of happened overnight. But mm. if there was sort of, if the fire engines turned up at like four-ish, which I think it was by the time the neighbours had called, at that time of year, it'd be starting to get quite light. Light, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, would have been. Yeah, four in the morning. Yeah, four in the morning. It's just get light, doesn't it? Yeah. Really interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Have a look at all the other material that is on that. Have a I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and join us next time when once again, Dad... And daughter, do death. <laughs>